I think we'll start with some meditation. So one thing I don't have here in this empty um, meditation center is a bell, but I think I can make my phone do that. <laughs> and we're only going to sit for maybe about 20 minutes or... Um, Well, maybe 30, we'll see. So get comfortable. Let your body relax. Usually the first thing to attend to is your posture and whether or not you're sitting in a comfortable way or if you're in a, if you're lying down, lying down in a way that you can stay alert and be comfortable. And even though your mind may not quite be ready to settle, I know for myself, I bring my attention to my breath. It's not really quite the time yet to start Anapanasati, perhaps, but paying attention to my breath helps me to be calm, helps me to calm my whole body. When I said it's not quite time yet to start formal anapanasati practice or mindfulness of in and out breathing, that's because we want to first, as much as we can, address whatever hindrances arise. So we observe the breath. And breathing in, really filling the body with the breath and breathing out, relaxing, letting go, letting go of stress, letting go of tension. You might want to smile. It helps bring some of those wonderful chemicals out into the body. And right now it's a little cold here, so I'm noticing that. But of course, we often meditate in conditions that aren't perfect. In fact, they're rarely perfect. So we can notice what's happening and still turn our attention to relaxing the body, 
and calming the mind. And then we have our opportunity to really look at what's happening in the mind. And we can notice if there is the desire for something or aversion to something. classically called sensual desire and ill will. Or maybe some of what we're going to discuss today, dullness and drowsiness. Or restlessness or doubt. And if any of these are quite strong, then we'll want to address them directly. But sometimes they're just a background or subtle energy. And then we can really overcome them by bringing more enthusiasm and attention, interest, in the breath or whatever object you would be using as your point of focus. Or you might think of it as your vehicle for immersion. It could be loving kindness or appreciative joy. And there, of course, are a number of other possibilities. But I'm going to refer to this in terms of the breath. So aware of breathing in and aware that you're breathing out.
And if there's no hindrance, that's very strong. Just keeping that attention on the in-breath and the out-breath. And expanding our awareness to include the entire body. Then you might find that that's a very enjoyable feeling. And breathing in and breathing out, aware of the whole body. Noticing any pleasant feeling that arises. Even mindfulness in and of itself brings pleasant feeling. A kind of calm stability. And the body becomes gradually more and more and more calm. All of its systems, including breathing, become more calm. And you might feel warmth or tingling or fullness or some other indication that the mind is becoming more still. And we're becoming more aware of what you might call spiritual energy. This beautiful feeling joyful, happy. Probably contented feeling. Being present and aware.
And we can notice any activity that we might experience in the mind. And maybe your thoughts are already quite far in the background. Or maybe there are things coming into the mind that want to distract us. Or maybe there still might be some sluggishness or dullness in the mind. So we can encourage energy to be heightened and bring more interest, more enthusiasm to the moment or more calm and peace and tranquility. Have the in, inner voice saying to whatever thoughts are coming in to intrude, it's not the right time. Right now we're here to meditate. Then we can notice the state of the mind. What's the, the mood? Is it contracted or expansive? So in a state of wanting, wanting something or wanting to get rid of something? Or is it content, open, available, alert, bright, calm? And just being aware of the state of the mind is helpful. And bringing in reflections that help to lift up the mind. The kind words or actions that we've offered or received, generosity, virtue, 
those beautiful qualities of the Buddha and the Dhamma, for which we're all so grateful. And enlightened Sangha, showing us that awakening is a process and it's possible and we're doing it. As the mind becomes more and more happy, uplifted, contented, the more it's ready for immersion into the breath or into the light or into the nimitta, whatever happens, letting go completely and utterly Abandoning all clinging, all attachment, even if it's only for these few moments. Observing the in-breath and the out-breath until it becomes so still. There's nothing to observe.
So today we're going to reflect on um, the Pali is Tita Tina Mida. And it's often been translated as sloth and torpor, the, usually listed as the third hindrance. So we talked about sensual desire and ill will the last couple weeks and um, those are kind of the, the big ones uh, for many people. But for some, uh, this dullness and drowsiness, another way it's translated often is, is, is really can be very tenacious and difficult to, to deal with. So when you look at the Palitina, it actually literally means stiffness. And if you're aware of or you experience this, this hindrance, then you might know that feeling. You just feel kind of stuck and, and um, paralyzed, not enough energy there or vigor. And Mida is, is more of the drowsiness or nodding, sleepy or maybe a kind of sluggishness. And with all the hindrances, we really want to look at what's the cause. How do we free ourselves from it? And with, with drowsy dullness and drowsiness, it can be either a physical cause or a mental cause. So we want to look at you know, how is the body doing? And some of the physical causes can be, come from a lack of exercise or too much exercise, over-exercise, or sometimes it's a food-related kind of thing, poor nutrition if you don't have enough to eat or you don't have um, the nutrients that the body needs. And of course, a lot of times it's just that we need to sleep. Um, there's a need for restful sleep. Or sometimes illness can be the, the cause. So that's the first distinction. You know, is this coming from a physical issue or is this coming from a mental issue? Now, the mental stuff can be things like overstimulation. So if we are dealing with a lot of sense input all day long and we sit down and we become calm, the first thing the mind wants to do is just check out and go to sleep. Or, and those are kind of two different things, right? When we just start nodding, you know, falling asleep, that's one thing, but there's also that kind of dullness uh, that just has us checking out. And it can be from just maybe we just need some calm um, way of, um, you know, slowing the mind down. But sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes we are really discontented or unhappy. Um, Sometimes we just have 
something going on underneath the surface that we haven't addressed. And it needs um, some care and some time. Now, one thing that I really want to emphasize with all the hindrances and any mental state we encounter is to not be upset with ourselves for it. This is, this is a, you know, like there's some kind of a little illness that we need to take care of. Might think of it that way. Might not be feeling like, oh, here I go again. I can't stay awake during meditation. Um, and some of our traditions and our uh, cultures can be pretty harsh. Um, and we want to not carry that into our meditation if we can help it, or at least notice if something like that is coming up. So the Buddha talked about uh, discontent and he had, there were kind of uh, several things that he talked about as the causes um, for this dullness and drowsiness, discontent, weariness, laziness, um, feeling drowsy after the meal, after meals, or a sluggishness of mind. And one of the things that can be the source of discontent or a kind of resistance to meditation. This is something drowsiness and dullness can come from this. And this could can be like we're thinking of the, I, oh, I should meditate. Or here I am, I'm, I'm meditating because you know I need to. It's, it's become like a chore. It's become, you know, just another thing on our to-do list. Kind of no real enthusiasm there and interest, energy. And you know, sometimes we can um, think we're practicing letting go, but we're actually practicing pushing away, and there's a certain aversion there. Or maybe we are being kind of self-punishing in some way, or, or sometimes there can actually be more of an indifference. Um, and so just being aware, you know, you know, do you really want to be here meditating? This is this is what we can ask ourselves. And that's kind of in the discontent resistance category. Whereas the wearies, weariness and laziness, maybe there is a lack of initiative. Maybe maybe we just don't know what to do in meditation. I don't think that's true for most of us here, but you know, there are sometimes we we are kind of stuck, and um, or bored, or maybe um, a little bit depressed, or maybe there's some unresolved grief. So there are various things that we can look at. When we have that situation where we've eaten a meal. Of course, we try not to overeat because that can be a problem. But And we feel tired. Sometimes bringing some activity is enough, you know, kind of pushing ourselves a little bit to do something. So the Buddha would recommend doing walking meditation after eating and, you know, kind of get the system going. Oh. <laughs> 
Okay. So, um, so those are some thoughts on, you know, what we, what we might, what might be going on underneath. And then I wanted to share with you a sutta briefly. And this is when Mahamogalana was, uh, I think, in the very beginning of his time as a monk with the, with the Buddha. And some of you might know this sutta. Um, it's in the Anguttara Nikaya in the Book of Sevens, number 61. And it's actually entitled Dozing. You know, it's that kind of thing where you're just nodding. <laughs> and um, it's kind of sweet. So the, the Buddha with his psychic powers recognizes or real uh, tunes into the fact that Mogalana is um, practicing and uh, nodding and even having trouble with drowsiness. And so the sutta says that the Buddha disappeared from where he was and appeared where Mahamogalana was, you know, as, as quickly as a, a person might stretch out their arm or draw it in again. And then he, he says to Mogalana, are you dozing, Mogalana? Are you dozing? And Mogalana, Mahamogalana says, yes, Bhante. And I'm thinking, wow, that's so much better than you're dozing. Why can't you wake up? Stop doing that. <laughs> you know, get with the program or whatever. You know, it's like, it's just so like, are you dozing? Yes. Yes, I am. And he said, well, then you should not attend to or cultivate the object you're attending to that you know that you were attending to when you became drowsy so change your meditation objects and then the drowsiness might go away but if it doesn't then you should ponder examine mentally inspect the dhamma as you have heard it and learned it. So you start by changing your meditation object, trying to get interested in it, seeing if there's an interest there. And if that doesn't help, bring up some point of Dhamma that you've learned and really dig into it. And then the Buddha says, but if that doesn't get rid of the drowsiness, then you should recite in detail Dhamma that you've heard and learned. So some of those things that we've memorized. So the Buddha was, he encouraged memorizing passages quite a bit. And of course, that's part of what the chanting is. Um, you memorize it by chanting together. And then you, you bring that up and you chant internally, or maybe if you're by yourself in chant some out loud and see if the drowsiness subsides. And of course, there are going to be seven of these, right? But actually, there's eight. So um, I like the last one, too, because it is important. But here's the fourth one. If that 
the first means didn't work yet. You pull on both your ears and you rub your limbs with your hands. So there's something that activates um, our wakefulness when we rub our ears or pull on them and we rub our arms and legs. And if that doesn't work, get up from where you're sitting and put wash your face, rub your eyes with water, um, look in all directions, uh, look up at the at the stars. This is a lovely image. Um, we can do that at the Hermitage. You can see the stars. Um, but looking up, and then maybe the drowsiness will subside. But if that doesn't work, the Buddha said, bring up the perception of light. So you can actually do that in the mind, bringing up the perception of light as if night was day. And then it says, with a mind that is open and uncovered, you should develop a mind imbued with luminosity. And if that doesn't work, you should get up and do walking back and forth, walking meditation. And you're paying attention to or perceiving what's behind you and what's in front of you with your sense faculties drawn in and your mind collected. And if none of that works, go lie down and rest. But put in your mind the idea that as soon as you wake up, you're going to get up and practice. So that's the advice from the Buddha. And then interestingly enough, he gives Mahamogalana a couple of other points of advice. He says, you should train like this. We will not engage in contentious talk. It's in this way that you should train yourself. Because when there's contentious talk, an excess of words can be expected. And when there's an excess of words, one becomes restless. And when one is restless, one loses one's restraint. The mind of one without restraint is far from concentration. So that was one point he gave him. And the second one was, Mogalana, I do not praise bonding with everyone whatsoever, nor do I praise bonding with no one at all. I do not praise bonding with householders and monastics, but I do praise bonding with quiet and noiseless lodgings far from the flurry of people, remote from human habitation and suitable for seclusion. That was the second point. And when this was said, Venerable Mahamogalana said to the Buddha, briefly, Bhante, how is 
of bhikkhu liberated in extinction from craving. Best among devas and humans, one who has reached the ultimate conclusion, one ultimate security from bondage, living with ultimate spiritual life, gained the ultimate consummation. And the Buddha says, when one has heard, nothing is worth holding to. When you've really heard that nothing is worth holding to and you know that you know everything, you know all things, and having known that directly, you fully understand all things. And having fully understood whatever feeling they feel, whether pleasant, painful, or neither painful or pleasant, they dwell contemplating impermanence in those feelings, the fading away of those feelings, the cessation of those feelings, and the relinquishment of those feelings. And when one dwells contemplating impermanence fading away, cessation and relinquishment in those feelings, they do not cling to anything in the world. And not clinging, they're not agitated, not agitated, they personally attain Nibbana. And they know destroyed his birth, the spiritual life has been lived and what had to be done has been done. There's no more coming back to this state of being. And then the Buddha says, this is the way one is best among devas and humans, reaching the ultimate conclusion, the ultimate security from bondage, the ultimate spiritual life, the ultimate consummation. So one of the things that I like about the sutta is that the Buddha is so kind and supportive. And I think he must have seen what Mahamogalana's particular issues were at the time. And it makes me wonder, like, how much do those things that he talked about at the end have to do with, you know, underlying causes for that, that drowsiness, that dullness of mind. And I think this is kind of a, um, a model in a number of ways, you know, for us to be kind like that with ourselves, as well as with other others, you know, instead of being harsh, when we don't, when we feel like, oh, the meditation's not going very well, I'm such a loser, you know, stuff, don't, don't go there. Um, and, you know, just recognize that it's the consistent working with things that really brings results. So Ajahn Pasano told this story one time of, I don't even remember which monk it was. It was one of the Kruba Ajans, you know, someone who's very, very highly advanced. And he had come um, quite a distance to the monastery where Ajahn Pasano was. 
and and it was already quite late at night and it was one of those all night sits you know that um that Ajahn Chah always had them doing you know oh, once a week and uh and this monk was already pretty elderly and he came in he didn't just you know like go off to his kuti he came in and sat down in the sala with the sangha and Ajahn Pasano said that, you know, you just his head drop. <laughs> and he'd come up again. And he said, he'd straighten himself, you know, straighten his posture up. And then after a little while, again, <laughs> he straightened himself up. And he said after that happened a few times, he straightened himself up and then it didn't happen again. He was just totally... Totally there, totally in samadhi. And you know, I think about that sometimes, you know, like the sticking with it, the not feeling, not getting caught up in, oh, there's drowsiness, or I'm really tired. You know, sometimes the Buddha will say the way to overcome something is to not pay attention to it. Like he says, you know, if if you attend to, if you if you think, well, I'm really tired, I, you know, like, then then it just gets worse. But if you're like, okay, I'm gonna rise up here, you know, give that a try. And it's kind of like what he, you know, he goes through these seven different options, and then at the end, it's like, yeah, take a rest. <laughs> So it's it's um you know it's good for us to you know see how the Buddha offered training and how he himself practiced and how those wonderful examples of people who are a bit further down the path than we are practice and you know like really um absorb the best of it and apply it the best we can. So I think that's what I had to share. And I'm interested in your comments or experiences. Or questions or complaints. Like, why didn't you talk about how when you look in the bowl of water and it's sloth and torpor and it's all covered with algae and you can't see yourself? Yeah. <laughs> That's there too. Helpful image. I am. Um, I am. Um... I found myself uh, thinking, well, I'm not, I was very alert during meditation, so I don't really have to pay attention to this talk on being slothful. And, I, <laughs> and about the same time you mentioned, like, inattention, I realized, oh, I'm not paying attention. I'm, 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 and it's, uh, 
I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I, and it's not the content, it's just that I'm not totally there, there. And I love what you said about, well, what else is going on? And yeah, there's other stuff going on, but it's sort of that balance between just coming back to listening and thinking like, what is that other thing that wants me entertained or feel like I'm bored? I want to go over here. And I think I had this really kind of frightening glimpse, like it just, it went, oh, there's, there's death over there. And it was just like, what? Like, and it feels like, you know, I've heard this before is that behind every fear, there's ultimately the fear of death. But it was like very vivid of like how, <clears throat> how terrified I am. I had a, I just had a second where I imagined, oh, my last breath. And I just, and I was chilled. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and so, uh, of course, I want to distract myself from. I'm. I, I guess I just. I just want to say I'm very. I feel very afraid right, right now. Like that. This really does all end. Mm -hmm. And I. And I. I'm just afraid. And I guess just to keep doing this, the hope <clears throat> that that by looking at this and being with this, that I will learn, that I'll accept. I didn't expect to come across this at all. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what you can do if you stand back and you observe this mind that fears death, what you can do to help it? Hmm. What can you do? What can I do? Mm -hmm. Oh. I I think just to come back to right now, this breath, this view, this you right now, that I'm I'm here and that it that it has no power over me, that that I'm by giving myself over to this, I'm just getting into this river and mm -hmm. going along and just letting go of uh, not in a way inviting it in maybe or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we actually can. There are a few things contemplate where this mind is headed, its orientation. You know, that if we're not enlightened by the time we die, and if we are, we won't, it won't matter. We'll, we'll be just fine. <laughs> and, but if we, if we can reflect on where this mind, this process of spiritual development is headed, then we can become more and more secure about death being just fine. 
-hmm. And wherever it goes after that, just fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps, you know, it helps to really look at the reality like you are. And it helps to reflect on all the reasons why death is going to be a totally safe, fine experience. Even if it's going to be uncomfortable, maybe, but maybe not. You know, maybe it'll be easy, but regardless, it'll be impermanent. <laughs> the process <laughs> will be impermanent. And that where we land, it will be a good landing. Instead of just letting death be kind of hiding in the corner, you know, jumping out of the closet at us once in a while, you know, or something, you know, just really like be there with it. Okay. Like, yeah. Excellent. I love what this... This one monk said back in the 20s, and he he gave a lot of funeral talks, and he said, you know, death is your friend. You're going to need that when the time comes. And and when the right time, and he said the right time is whenever death comes. Mm -hmm. I think of that as your friend. Something's got to get us out of this body as it goes really decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, a few a few ideas maybe. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Danny. Linda. This was an um, amazingly practical um, Suda. <laughs> um, for me. Um, dullness and drowsiness generally are not an, uh, a big obstacle for me. I'm sort of on the other end of the spectrum with, <laughs> with a lot of energy going on. Um, and when I've experienced this, it's mostly been in retreat. And, it, and it's pretty predictable after I'm on retreat just, you know, a little while. And, you know, I've been deprived of all this... Um, um, you know, sensory um, input that I'm used to, then all of a sudden it's just, you know, a little too quiet. <laughs> um, and that's when I'll experience it. Um, and I had been given some suggestions at one point that, that were a little different than this. And, and it was, it was just to, to be with it. Mm. Of course, assuming there's mindfulness there. I mean, if, if there's no mindfulness, yeah, there's no point. Um, and, and sometimes it would go on for several, you know, sitting periods. And then all of a sudden it was gone. Uh, and when, when I, when I see this list and it might just be my personality, um, for me, I think what might be brought up is a bit of a aversion. I have to get rid of this. And here's my to-do list for how to do it. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so I, I just was going to mention that and, and see if you had any comments. Well, it sounds like the advice you got was perfect for you. 
And it is interesting, you know, to ask, well, the Buddha was very proactive a lot of times, you know, like, hey, this this happens, do this, you know. And um, it's also good to notice that the Buddha encouraged us to be with things too, you know. So I think that, you know, maybe... Um, maybe it was just the timing, you know, he showed up after Mahamogalana had been struggling with this for a while, maybe being present with it, trying to be mindful with it, which wasn't working, you know, that probably that phase probably already passed. <laughs> and so I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, the Buddha, every time we do Anapanasati, if you, you know, walk yourself through the instructions. And I want to say that walking ourselves through the instructions is, is a training. Um, we want to get to the place where, you know, we really don't need the instructions so much. We still are doing it quite naturally, but there's always that observe what's happening in the mind, observe it. So observe these tendencies I mean, if you really, you know, look at uh, the foundations of mindfulness, or maybe a better translation is the applications of mindfulness, it starts with saying you've already overcome the hindrances before you even begin. And so just some, just some thoughts. It's like when you look at the Buddhist teachings, he comes at it from different angles and different times. And I have uh, a lot of, I guess, faith that he was doing that, knowing what was happening for people in front of him. And so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for that, that advice, which is probably perfect for other times. Yeah. And and I just wanted to make one other comment that it's not maybe indirectly related but when um, when Ajahn Brahmali was was speaking a few weeks ago, um, there was something he said that really uh, impacted me, and that was that sitting down to, to meditation, to to not immediately rush into the breath, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, establish mindfulness, and and let the breath come to you mm-hmm. and that to me that that was like uh, what i found myself doing as often and in my case it was usually more agitation than drowsiness but that that i'd sit down and and, and the breathing for me was almost like a backdrop and then the, the thoughts were just going on in the you know in the forefront mm-hmm. uh, so i was kind of just lost there i mean there was some awareness of the breathing but it and so now what I do is, um, is before I even notice the breath, I'm, I'm, I really pay attention to just my, uh, uh, you know, my seat on the chair, you know, kind of grounding. And I love that idea of just letting the breath come to me. And it, it, um, it's much more natural. It's not, it's not a, a, a you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing the breathing. It's just, I'm just breathing. Uh, And that has really helped me establish mindfulness a a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. And 
And I think that with whether it's it, whether it's the restlessness or even the drowsiness, you know, it, if there's a good foundation of mindfulness, I think it's it's a, a lot easier to deal with these hindrances for sure. Yes, yes, yeah, lovely, Linda. Thank you. Yeah, when you were talking about the breath coming to you, I, I was thinking, yeah, sometimes I need to call it a little, but it's like calling a cat. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> and then it might come. <laughs> All right, thank you. It's helpful. Yeah, James. Um. So quick question and a bit of a comment i guess um you said about what was it bringing up perception of light the mind imbued with luminosity mm -hmm. what what does that actually mean i didn't quite follow that i know it can be a little hard to imagine but the way i have experienced it and also i, I was talking about this with aya chitananda and she said oh yeah that's that's totally, you know, doable. And it's really, you know, you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you start to imagine light and just see what happens. And, um, you know, maybe that's something that, that just comes about or not, but just see if that, that works and, you know, just, give it some time and just, you know, just imagine light and it might really fill the mind. Okay. I mean, also, um, I think Linda's probably already said much what I was going to say is that, you know, I don't usually, where well, I'm not aware of having much problems with the uh, sort of sleepiness and sloth and torpor, but retreats are another thing. I mean, it's uh, always found well, I've only done a couple so far, but I've certainly found that the first couple of days tend to be lost to, you know, the the tiredness of just general life catching up with me. Now I finally sort of rested. But I, I certainly found with the last one that um, I got over that by, you know, sleeping through sessions where I should have been doing walking meditation and things like that. But um, after that, I think I found that, Maybe if I'm I'm just just on a normal daily basis, say if I do a couple of meditations in a row or with a little gap, then you know you get a bit more peaceful each time. But I, and I kind of expected the same thing to happen on retreats, but I found particularly with the last one in November that it was more like it wasn't so much peaceful, but sort of like I just felt a bit kind of yeah, it was definitely peaceful, but I felt kind of blankly kind of like flat you know what I mean does that make any sense whether <laughs> that was kind of dullness sloth torpor without me quite recognizing it as such I'm I'm not sure yeah <laughs> yeah and that's it's important to really look at that and and look you know like this whole idea of what's under it you know is there some and is there some way to bring up more energy, more enthusiasm, more interest. Do I need to take a different meditation object or, you know, like get a little more, a little, a little more vigorous walking. So um, like a number of the Ajahn Chamas, Ajahn Gana is very into this. Ajahn Mahabua is like, you know, like walk fast. <laughs> you know, sometimes you really 
do fast walking meditation. I knew I knew a monk who um, was doing very fast walking meditation on his path, and then this little snake jumped out and bit him. Um, that's not so good, but maybe you could do it with sand snake somewhere <laughs> if you want a little more um, energy. But yeah, don't waste your time. Let the mind float. That's one of the things that can happen. You can waste a lot of time that way, uh, where it's just kind of a bit, a bit floaty and dull. And you know, it's good to really pay attention to that. That is a hindrance because you're not really going into deep stillness. You're just not really going anywhere. And so, want to know that and and uh, and do something about it. As, I mean, Linda was really referring to this too. Is at that point, there's not much mindfulness, and you're not really, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I don't know if that was what you're experiencing, James, but it's something. So, but generally speaking, I'm just surprised how exhausting I find sort of more intensive practice. I don't know whether I'm. That's an indication I might be perhaps trying too hard or something. I mean, I, I thought it might be sort of restful, and yet. It's surprisingly tiring just to sit around all day and try and, you know, it's, which just seems counterintuitive. Is that just me? Am I trying too hard? Or do I think most people feel that way? Maybe I don't know. It's, uh... I don't know. I think the first place to look, and you already mentioned it too, is that all of many of us are just sleep deprived and exhausted, mm-hmm. like, like a deep tiredness. And when I do retreat, I let myself just sleep as much as I want the first couple of days yeah. and it, it really helps. And then I'm really ready to meditate. And so there might be some real drowsiness there or, you know, like, like, you know, that some kind of unresolved grief or whatever might be underneath, you know, to really, to really be able to take a look at that and, and um, be kind. And, I mean, Perhaps dullness could even be a way of escaping because I, I I sort of have sort of ill will kind of come up at retreats, which is sort of throwing me a bit. So maybe the dullness is the mind's way of trying to avoid facing that. Perhaps it could very well be. Hmm. And and facing it, you know, like sometimes, really, I mean, I know I keep saying this, but sometimes our aversion to our own mental states can be quite strong and. We don't want to feel the way we feel. We don't want to think the way we think. And it's just old stuff. It's old karma. It's vipaka karma. We don't have to feel responsible for it. We just need to work with it. And so, you know, yeah, it could be something, um, you know, quite just irrelevant <laughs> but we want to really really pay attention and see what's there thank you yeah you're welcome thank you for your comments julie uh yes uh this suda and uh brings to mind that uh, um sometimes i i find that I can make an excuse for some reason. Uh, in in my case, it's age, and I think, well, at, at this age, I this is the way you are. Uh, I I found myself challenging that uh, when you were reading the uh, suttas, 
uh, you know, like just letting myself off far too easy uh, to really look at, at this. And, um, you know, I do get enough sleep. And uh, so it's a way to uh, just not be quite so ready to uh, uh, let yourself off the hook. Mm -hmm. So um, I thank you for that. And uh, I'll, I'll certainly look into that for other reasons. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Joy. Um, I don't know, you're, you're a pretty shining example for all of us um, in, in your, what, mid-90s? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of pushing on the other end. But... Oh, yeah? How old are you now? Well, in two or three days, I'll be 98. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for um, this amazing practice uh, and your sharing with us and your presence. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I know um, this idea of letting ourselves off way too easy. It's possible that we do that. <laughs> and it, it, this uh, thinking about this sutta, I was thinking about another sutta where the Buddha talks about um, two monks coming to the monastery and, you know, if he, it, it's like right at the end of the mealtime and if he, and they're, and they've been traveling and they're hungry and weak. And he said, if he were to say, oh, here's what's left over in my bowl that I'm not going to eat. You can, you can have it. And he says, there's the monk who will say yes and, and eat it. And he'll say to himself, okay, and, I, and then I can practice and I'll be stronger. And there'll be another monk who will say, no, that's okay. And he, even though he's weak, he goes to practice and he, he practices. And, um, and the Buddha says he favors the one who resisted taking the food. And I always think, wow, that's a, that's rough. <laughs> but he said, you know, like that one is going to have more like, like courage and enthusiasm. And I know what he means. It's like, of course, we can't deny ourselves basic needs all the time over and over. We have to be wise. But it's like if we like really push ourselves a bit and we come through it, we have more confidence. And, you know, it's not just a mind of, oh, I have to go lay down. Oh, I have to go lay down. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Julie. Lisa? I feel kind of funny saying this now after that <laughs> the story of toughing it out because um <laughs> please represent the other side we need the we need both <laughs> sometimes that works i think it, especially if you see good results but um for me i've struggled a lot with sloth and torpor and not so much recently which i'm really happy about um you started out your talk um going into the looking at the causes. And for me, that's really important. And um, 
you know, maybe there are a lot, there are physical causes, but also my attitude toward the whole, toward this hindrance is so important. Just taking an attitude of curiosity about it can arouse more energy for me and um, self-care rather than a self-improvement kind of um, punishing, turns into a punishing kind of um, process for me. So um, like James was saying, sometimes uh, a torpor can be kind of a shutting down that's covering up something else like aversion or um, for me, it's often doubt uh, about the process and about my ability in doing this. So um, yeah, rousing the energy to investigate, maybe not during the meditation, but um, and trying different things in a very self-care way is good for me. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really the Buddha gave so many different approaches and clearly um, applying the medicine that's needed for the condition that we experience and applying it in the right amount. And so this is part of our investigation. And the more we can bring curiosity and interest and enthusiasm and confidence from what we've already learned and experienced the better so it's uh it's it's really lovely to have everyone's perspective because then we see you know like the buddha giving so many different approaches sometimes we have to take it one way and sometimes we have to take it a different way and and that's where our wisdom develops you know what's what's really happening here and what's our goal if we keep that goal of awakening in mind then we're going to do the things that bring us in that direction and all of the attendant value that comes from the development of our character in the process so that's it's a beautiful path and sometimes it's hard, but it's really, it's really amazing. So thank you everyone. And um, I hope you take good care of yourself.